Hey, I would invite you to open up a Bible and join me. We are in Paul's letter to the Romans. It's uh, 75, 80% of the way through your Bible. Uh, Paul, if you did not know, he was one of the early Christian leaders, one of the people who saw the resurrected Christ and has given us uh, doctrinal truths about who God is and how that should relate to our lives. Uh, This past March, on the 10th, uh, Peter Greenchilds went to bed in Derbyshire, England. Uh, But he was found dead the next day, March 11th. There was an investigation into his death. And they discovered that after Peter had fallen asleep... Still on the stove where he had earlier been making some fried potato chips, a little grease fire started. Smoke began to fill up uh, the apartments. And ultimately, Peter Greenshilds died of carbon monoxide poisoning. Further study was, well, why did the smoke alarms not go off? Like, why wasn't... Why didn't someone wake him in his sleep? In fact, the week before, the apartment complex had checked every single smoke alarm in the complex, and they were all functioning properly. And it came to find out that Peter Greenshields himself had probably taken the batteries out of all of his own smoke alarms so that he could either smoke in his apartment or cook greasy food. Alarms signal danger. Alarms are to alert us of possible perils. I think there's many glaring alarms going around in the world, right? Um, Disease, signals, peril, uh, disordered relationships, corrupt Power, pain, but the most glaring alarm is always death. Merry Christmas. We're going to talk about death. Uh, but we shouldn't hit the snooze button when, when, you, when you face death. Like we should address this glaring alarm. And really, the reason why Christians take this season so seriously is we believe that the child born in a manger is now reigning in a physical body in heaven. Christmas is not some cute holiday. It's an invasion into the dark world filled with death in which Jesus is going to live a life demonstrating his power over all evil and the worst thing of all, death itself. And we need to know this Jesus. And by God's grace, Paul's letter to the Romans is going to begin to describe the significance of this Jesus, really for 16 chapters. We're only in the fourth verse. Let me reread the first four verses to get our bearings, but we're really spending all of our time in verse 4. Romans chapter 1, beginning in uh, chapter 1, verse 1, says, Paul, a servant of of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, 
and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So where death is an alarm, a signal that something is greatly wrong, and in the opposite way, the resurrection signals all can be well. All can be well. Resurrection changes everything. I want to look at four aspects of significance or reasons why the resurrection is so significant that Paul gives here in one verse. First, the resurrection confirms Jesus' authority. Or you could say the resurrection confirms Jesus' identity. Second, the resurrection defeats an enemy. And finally, I want to end later with the resurrection seals a hope. What I want you to see first here in this little verse about Jesus' resurrection is it begins to explain that this resurrection is confirming who Jesus is, what kind of authority he has. And the two things we're going to talk about that we learn about Jesus is he is the Son of God in power. He is Jesus Christ our Lord. Son of God in power, Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's talk about this first expression. Son of God in power. What does that mean? Now, the first thing we got to realize is I think that this is a contrast to what was described back in verse 3. So in verse 3, it describes the first coming. It describes what we uh, celebrate most significantly or most focused on at Christmas time, that we believe that the Messiah, who is also the second member of the Trinity, the Son of God, came in the flesh. He was a, he was a descendant of, in Israel, particularly a descendant of King David. And when he came in the flesh the first time, he came, as some of the songs saying, he came meek and mild. He came in weakness. He came like us. He came to represent us. In that body of weakness, in that human flesh, he could be, he could have his hands nailed and his body pierced. That was Jesus in weakness. Jesus according to the flesh. But what this verse is talking about is in his resurrection, he is not the son of God in weakness anymore. In the resurrection, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he is now the son of God in power. A spear will do nothing to the body that Jesus now has. It's been raised. If you read through 1 Corinthians 15, it's raised with this spiritual, immortal, invincible body. He is a, in this, then the hope of the resurrection is we too will someday have bodies like this. Praise God, these bodies of weakness are, will one day be shed off for the, to share in a body like Christ. Uh, some of you saw the original uh, Avengers movie. This is the the Marvel movie, and you know, most people who watch it would love that scene where uh, this this little this little god named Loki, like, just says in defiance, "I'm a god," and then everybody loves it when the Hulk takes Loki and just smashes him back and forth, and says, "Puny god," right? Because he's not he's not really not that strong. But the, the contrast here is that Jesus Christ, in raised in this new resurrected body, he's the Son of God 
in power. And in power, he is working in the world today. He's been working in the world for 2,000 years. In the 4th century, there was this bold and brave man named St. Athanasius who defended the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that the Son of God came into this world. But one of the ways in which he would articulate and explain why we can believe that Jesus is resurrected is because he is working in the world. Athanasius wrote this, For it is clear that if Christ were dead, he would not have expelled the demons and despoiled the idols, for demons would not have obeyed a dead man. Right? When we preach Jesus Christ as the Son of God in power, people are freed from sin. People are freed from demonic possession. Where the gospel is proclaimed and the lordship of Jesus Christ is honored, societies purify and beautify. The resurrected Jesus Christ is the one who can save marriages and heal families and free addicts. Because he's not dead. And he's not weak. He is the Son of God in power. Back in verse 4, the resurrection doesn't just confirm that he's the Son of God in power. It also says there at the very end, it confirms that he is Lord. He is Lord. Now, a lot of times you might find different movements, you know, spinoffs of true Christianity that would say, well, that just means he's a really important person. So you might find something like that in Jehovah Witnesses or the Mormons, that he's not quite the true, fully God, eternal God forever. He's just, he's just really up there, <laughs> right? Like the first angel or the first, first being that God created. But Paul is a Jewish man. And Paul, as a Jewish man, knows that when you start using the term Lord, you are identifying this person in you know, equality with the one true Lord God, Yahweh, or sometimes called Jehovah. You know, in a, in a similar account, talking about the resurrection in Philippians chapter 2, Paul describes that the Son of God, he humbled himself, he, he came in human likeness, he became obedient even unto death, but in death God has exalted him, and he has given him the name above all names. When a Jewish person says, name above all names, this is the name Yahweh, this is the true Lord, this is the sovereign God of the universe. And so in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is confirming Jesus Christ is Lord. In the Old Testament, God says, I will not share my glory with another. And yet one of Christianity's, through, since, I mean, Roman, Philippians chapter 2 is actually a song of praise. So Christianity from the beginning has been sharing God's glory with Jesus because Jesus is God. This is who he is, and we are then to worship him. Can I just address, though, like, I think some might be listening this morning, and you might be saying, well, of course people in the first century could believe in a resurrection, right? People in the first century were uneducated, pre-modern, backwater people, but like we've moved beyond this. Let me give you just three quick reasons why a first century Jewish person uh, wasn't expecting a resurrection like the one that has happened, nor expecting to bow down and worship Jesus of Nazareth. First, you should know that first century Jews and even you know, kind of Orthodox Jews today, they actually don't believe that individuals raised from the dead. 
in like isolated fashions. One of the common beliefs is they believe in what's called a general resurrection. So that they believe that all the faithful Jews, all the faithful Israelites, at some time in history, they will all rise from the dead. You, you know, if you need a reference, you can check out Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. It talks about they'll be, they'll be raised and they'll have these bodies. And that's what they were expecting. And this is why some of the first century Jews, when they first heard about a resurrected Jesus, they would have been like, um... You know, when that general resurrection happens, there's going to be no suffering. There's going to be no pain. There's going to be a total renewal of a cosmos. And last time I looked around, things look pretty much the same. Another reason why those first century Jews uh, weren't expecting what ended up happening is because they were they would, they would have only been believing in the one true God. And they'd also believe that this one true God cannot be displayed with images or or icons, or be connected with created matter whatsoever. Right? They, Jews were programmed to stay away from any sort of worship created to, related to creation or humanity. No Jewish person woke up and said, you know what, by the end of my life, I'm going to be worshiping a carpenter from Nazareth. If anything, Jews were the least likely group of people to ever bow down and begin Worshipping a human being. Third, another reason why it was this seems unlikely is before Jesus of Nazareth lived and after Jesus of Nazareth lived, there were actually some other people who proclaimed to be some sort of Messiah or deliverer. And they would get a little bit of people excited with them and maybe plan some sort of coup of the Roman Empire. But they would be killed. And their little bands would disperse. But Jesus of Nazareth died. And they didn't disperse. And this is why Christianity has been proclaiming for 2,000 years. Well, the most logical, rational answer is that Jesus actually rose from the dead. This is what would bring people to bow down to a human person and call him God. This would explain why the little band didn't... didn't uh, disband like every other group. And, and, and this is why they would begin to say, wait, okay, we expected this general re- resurrection. We expected that, that. But God is doing something in this isolated resurrection that we hadn't yet expected. We might get into some of that. At the end of the day, you will have to answer the question, though, who do you believe Jesus is? You will have to ask that and answer that question. Uh, some questions don't matter that much. For example, who is Anthony Albanese? Anthony Albanese is the Prime Minister of Australia. But it certainly doesn't matter to an American, and it doesn't matter that much for an Australian. But Christianity comes and says, Jesus is the only person to triumph over death and live, and he reigns now. And that all those who submit to him have life eternal, and all those who remain in rebellion against him will have death and an eternal death. So answering who is Jesus Christ matters. The invitation is to yield to the Son of God in power. The invitation is to bow to the Lord Jesus Christ. But what Paul says is that resurrection is confirming that he has the authority and the identity 
that requires a response. But moving on, there are implications of this resurrection also here in verse 4. And the idea is that the resurrection defeats an enemy. The resurrection defeats an enemy. Right there in the middle of the verse. Jesus is the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. Anytime you hear a nice, clear, crystallized summary of the good news of Christianity, it is this. Jesus died and Jesus rose again. Death was defeated. If you turn in your Bibles to to the right in 1 Corinthians 15, I won't read all of it, but it's actually 58 verses on the significance of the resurrection. I encourage it for your meditation. We're going to look at about four or five of these verses this morning. But when Paul begins chapter 15, he says this, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel. This is the good news I preached to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I pass on to you of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. Jesus defeated death. Jesus defeated death. Death is not a happy subject. And yet it's the most sobering reality we must face. Um, this is why the, the, the writer of wisdom in the book of Ecclesiastes says this in chapter 7, verse 2. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Because of our own experiences with death, we instinctively want to, have, to talk about any other subject. Uh, some of you have had to, to, to be around a, a, a corpse, a dead body. Some of you maybe even know the smell that body uh, produces. Uh, all of us know the pain at some level of losing someone we love. Because of that, some of you, you know, hate hospitals with a passion. Maybe you avoid places where there's the elderly and the sick, like in a nursing home. Uh, maybe death scares you so much, you're the type of person, you actually avoid the doctor because you don't want to hear from him or her about your mortality. But please don't ignore the topic. Don't hit the snooze button on the alarm of death. Don't, drone out, don't drown out death's re reality with Netflix. A wise writer named Peter Kreft, he said this about 20 years ago, actually. He said, if diversions do not keep us from heaven, indifference will. Did you catch that? If diversions do not keep us from heaven, indifference will. I think these are the two most deadly poisons that many of us drink every single day. Diversion. Indifference. I would just say beware. Don't ignore the stark realities. Don't amuse yourself to death. What might happen if you actually face death? 
and look at it square in the eye. I mean, a couple of couple of things you might do. Uh, you, you might you might start really caring about your health. You know, you might really think about what you eat and the exercise. You know, but it's been wisely said that good health is just the slowest way to die. The other way you might face it is like just like the power of positive thinking or 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 use some sort of therapeutic technique to kind of drown out your anxieties and feel feelings and think a, think better thoughts. Maybe you turn to another religion. Right? You know, whether it's some sort of modern new age, you know, transcendental meditation or go with something classic like Hinduism or Buddhism. Or maybe turn to something that seems strong and fierce, uh, like the religion of Islam. Uh, but there you're going to find that, that Muhammad died and didn't rise from the dead. And the Buddha died and he, he did not rise from the dead. Jesus is unique. I appreciate some writers who said this about Jesus. They said the resurrection was the divine vindication of the personal work of Jesus Christ. The verdict of heaven, the verdict of, excuse me, the verdict of the human court was overturned by a higher authority. Humans thought Jesus should die. God said he will rise from the dead. I don't know if you're, you could be young. I I remember as a young child, maybe you're a 10 year old this morning. Like I feared death as a little boy. It haunted me some, some nights. But I know, I know people who in their, in their late eighties that they too are haunted by, by death. I think sometimes when, when men or women hit middle age and they start feeling those initial moments of, whoa, I am not young anymore. You start thinking about death. For the Christian, trusting in Jesus, he can take away the fear of death. That he took it. He defeated it. Uh, Later in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul puts into Scripture a taunt that we can have toward death. Like this is this has been the taunt of Christianity toward death for two thousand years. We can say First Corinthians uh, fifteen, the end of fifty four. It says, "Death has been swallowed up in victory." And so we can say, "Where O oh, death is your victory? Where O oh, death is your sting?" The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus. Christ. What Jesus Christ has done by dying on the cross for our sins, by by taking the consequence that the law demanded for sinners to receive, which was death and judgment and damnation, Jesus takes that on the cross for his people. And in so doing, he takes away the sting of death. Right? That means what Jesus has done, that, that, that for the Christian, death is a rattlesnake without, without fangs. Right? It's a scorpion without a stinger. Athanasius will also write in the 4th century, But since the Savior's raising the body, no longer is death fearsome, but all believers in Christ tread on it as nothing and would rather choose to die than deny their faith in Christ. Jesus has defeated 
an enemy, the greatest enemy. And so may that, may that bring, start bringing those who know Jesus hope. Um, may it give you a courage to face death, to face the enemies. Jesus has taken the worst for you. Let me just close with some with, with, with the hope, right? The resurrection seals a hope. The final idea, the resurrection seals a hope. So the resurrection confirms Jesus' authority, his identity. The resurrection uh, shows that the enemy has been defeated. But third, it, it seals a hope. And, and most of the hope in this verse is in one word. I don't know if you caught it. It's one word. It's one word in the Greek, all, all the Greek, in the original Greek. It's one word in all your English translations. It's the little word, our says, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Do you guys know what our is? Uh, our is a plural possessive pronoun. Am I right, homeschool kids? Right? The, 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 what, 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 what that means as a plural possessive pronoun is Paul's saying for Christians... When they declare in faith that Jesus is their Lord, it's saying Jesus associates with us and we belong to him. We're connected. We're united in fellowship. Personal uh, or, or pronoun, possessive pronouns matter. It is a great privilege for me to say Carrie Proctor is my wife. That my is significant. My, my brother and two sisters can say Carol Proctor is our Mom. In, 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 in communion with Carol Proctor, when she is your mom, you grew up never having to wash or fold a single article of clothing. Right? There are benefits for those in communion with certain people. But what, what, what Paul is saying here is if Jesus Christ is your Lord, if you can say Jesus is my Lord, if Jesus is our, our Lord, you share in all of the benefits of his resurrection. Those who die with Christ will rise with Christ. You can be seated in the heavenly places with Christ. You become the adopted sons and daughters of God because of the finished work of his son. The resurrection seals our hope because the resurrection makes it possible for humans to be reconnected to God through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1 will use the, the same idea of being sealed. That, the, that in trusting in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit seals us for the day of salvation. He, the, 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 the God puts his seal over us saying, my, my child, all the promises of God will be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. They are yes in Jesus. But it does ride, right, on that possessive pronoun. Is Jesus Christ your Lord? Have you trusted in him? Have you bowed the knee to him? Think about this, too. On the night Jesus Christ was betrayed, he actually spoke to his disciples, and he said, I want you to know you are going to do greater works when I leave. Now, hear this, and this is really important. The church would never do great works apart from him. That's not what Jesus is saying. Let me get out of here because you guys are really awesome. Rather, 
Jesus knew that when he went through death, resurrection, and ascension as the Son of God in power, we can do more works with him by his Holy Spirit as he reigns. Psalm 110 talks about that God's chosen one, he will reign until all of the enemies are put under his feet. That's what he's doing as he reigns in heaven now. That's what he does through the church when we proclaim him as Lord. Everywhere you have an opportunity to say Jesus Christ is Lord, them's are fighting words. Because we're challenging every human heart that there's only one king and you're not him. And that king will get the glory that he deserves. He came in weakness, but he reigns in power. And the next time he comes, he comes in power. Jesus Christ is Lord. But is he your Lord? Have you bowed the knee to him? And if you have, take, have joy. If you have not, bow today. Today is the day of your salvation. But I also want to encourage you then, if you know this Christ, if he is your Lord, that means when you go uh, to the Linmar Oak Ridge Middle School this week, the Lord Jesus Christ is with you. One of the last things Jesus said before he left this earth is he said, and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. So the reigning Son of God in power goes with you to the Hy-Vee Pharmacy and into Collins Aerospace. He visits, he, he reigns and works through you in Thomas Park. He's with you. This is some of the work I had to do in my own heart this week. I just even asked myself, Matt, how often do you think and meditate on the fact that the risen Son of God in power is is with you and working through you today as you honor his name? And I had to do some, I had to be like, I forget. I forget. You know, I I pray in the morning and then by noon, I'm like, this is, Matt's going to take on the world. You know what happens every time Matt takes on the world? The world wins. But wherever Jesus Lord Jesus is proclaimed as Lord, he always wins. He always wins. So today maybe is the day that one of you goes from Jesus being kind of a doctrinal idea to your personal Lord and Savior. You trust him. You put your faith in him. But maybe it's today that some Christians in this room, you walk out with a sense of the authority and power that you have with Jesus, the Son of God in power, going with you. Wherever you go. Do you guys remember the famous line in the movie Apollo 13? Houston, we have a problem. The actual phrase, <laughs> movies ruin everything, came in April 13, 1960. And it came from command pilot Jack Swigert. And he actually says, said, Houston, we have had a problem. Did you know that? Yeah. And what Jack Swigert was saying is that they were on this space shuttle, the space that they were supposed to get to the moon. That was the goal. And a little alarm went off. Just a little warning light that said that there was a small drop in voltage in, the, in, a, in a certain supply, power supply line. Houston, we have had a problem. Now, what's interesting is the warning light quit blinking. It, they could have just said, oh, it's just a faulty instrument. It's a false, faulty warning light. Let's ignore it. 
we got to get to the moon. Thankfully, the crew investigated the issue. They actually realized it was a life and death situation related to oxygen supply. And they went into immediate action to save their lives. Friends, don't ignore the warning light of death. Sometimes it might feel like it goes off. The fear might go away. The anxiety might go away. It's still there. And the only hope is in a first century Jewish man born in weakness, born to die, but has now through death been raised to the highest seat of authority and power. And that all who believe in him have life in his name. And that is our only hope. Let me pray. Father, again, we thank you for this season of Christmas to think that the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, did come in weakness. He came, he came with a body that could be killed. He was born under the law to die for those condemned by the law so that we might live through him, live through him, live with him, live under him. We praise you, God, for your sovereign plan of salvation through your Son. We thank you that in your sovereignty, some today are hearing this maybe for the first time. Others of us need to hear it again so that we are reminded of a hope in heaven, but also a power in heaven that wants us to be faithful to his name. To every square inch of the universe, we want to go and tell the world, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Pray that you would be honored by our lips and our lives. Thank you even now as we come to the the Lord's Supper, we can remember uh, your death on our behalf, uh, the covenant seal of, of your promise that those who die with Christ rise with Christ. And just pray even that, that would feed our souls and our spirits on truth. In Jesus' name, amen.